You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. makes me smile every time. That's probably not good, right? I guess it's a bad thing to wreck a ball. That gives a whole new meaning to dropping the beat, though. I just love that. It is so good. How you guys doing this morning? Was worship not amazing? Yes, give those guys a hand. Oh, my goodness. Woo! I'm back there in the back. My knees buckled a couple of times. I said, boy, the Holy Spirit about to just take me out right here in the Dagum Auditorium. Good morning to everybody watching online. So glad to have you guys joining us. Obviously, we are in a marriage series. Y'all loving this marriage series? Yes. Yes. So let me just say this. If you did not see pastors Megan and Luke Turner's message last week, go back and watch it. If you did see Pastor Megan and Luke Turner's uh, message last week. Go back and watch it. That message was amazing. That was one of the greatest. I'm thinking, like, when people come to my office now for marriage counseling, I'm going to send them the link to that service, say, before we do anything else, y'all do that. That right there is going to fix 80% of what's going on in your house. It was just that good. I mean, it was just great practical stuff just to strengthen your marriage. And I challenged, I've got a men's group that meets on Tuesday nights called Next Level Men. So last week, we did not meet because it's Valentine's Day. So we're getting it. We're getting it. I had a couple emails. Hey, we're not meeting for our group. No, and now I know what's wrong with your marriage. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day for crying out loud. Get, it, get out there and, and treat your wife. But I challenged them. I said, hey, man, you want to take your marriage to the next level. When you go out, when you do whatever you're going to do with your wife tonight, you take those makers and breakers that Luke and Megan talked about and you ask her for her honest feedback on how you're doing. And a lot of those guys took me up on it. I did it myself. Like I showed it to my wife. I said, all right, babe, here's the four breakers, right? It's uh, criticism and defensiveness and disrespect and stonewalling. I said, all right, be honest. Give me some feedback. How am I doing? She goes, oh, my gosh. You are amazing, babe. You're the best husband ever. I couldn't ask for anything, but I mean, you are just the bomb. But every now and then, that one right there, you know, a little bit of something right there. And she said, well, it's not fair that you just asked me, so give me some feedback. I was like, babe, are you kidding me? You are the jam, man. I mean, you are the peanut butter on the jelly. I mean, you are just, you make my life amazing. But every now and then. And so we just had a great conversation. And what I love about that message is it gives you some great tools to, to look, get an honest assessment of where you are right now, but then how to move forward. I mean, man, you could use that for years to come in terms of setting goals and what it is that you want to get better about. So we're going to continue in the marriage series today, and I'm super excited about today's message. And I got a great start to it because I met a buddy of mine in the first part of the week, and he said, hey, what are you talking about Sunday? I said, well, I'm going to keep the whole marriage thing going. And he said, man, feel free to use me and what me and my wife do because we're going on 10 years and we are strong. And I said, well, what do you guys do? One thing. He said, one thing, right off day one of our marriage, we sat down and we made this critical decision. We said, for the rest of our marriage, I would make all of the major decisions in the marriage and she would make all of the minor decisions in the marriage. I said, that works? He goes, oh, heck yeah, it works. He said, we're going on 10 years and we've yet to have to make a major decision in our marriage. <laughs> so there you go. Take that 
Do whatever you want to do with that. Oh. <laughs> so y'all got a handout uh, when you came in today. So go ahead and take that out. We're going to start filling that out. And one of the things I looked at that was a little bit shocking for me yesterday was I looked at the stats of cohabitation right now. In other words, living together, living with somebody without being married. I was just curious to see where that was. Um, and I was pretty shocked to see that it is at 70% right now. And even in the last uh, four years, it's dramatically increased, even from 2018. In other words, 70% of people prefer to live together first before making a commitment to marriage. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty high. So then my next thought was, why do we have a marriage commitment? which is the first blank on your paper. Why do we have a marriage commitment? And I'm not saying that sarcastically, like, why do we even have a marriage commitment? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, why do we have a marriage commitment? Like, what is the purpose of it? More importantly, where did it come from? Like, is it a Western culture thing? Is it an Eastern culture thing? Is it just like this sort of legalized social contract deal that we have? Like, what is the basis for it? And number one on your card, turns out when you look into it, we have the marriage commitment because it was God's idea. So let me read this to you out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So right from the beginning, God was on top of this whole relationship between men and women. He knew it was not good for the man to be alone. So it was his idea for marriage. And before I go any further, let me use that same passage of scripture right there to address everyone in the room that's single. Okay, because some of you are single because of divorce. Some of you are single um, because of a loss of life in your family. Some of, some of you are single because you're young and you know, you're just waiting for that Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Right, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. oh, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yes, young, yes. So here's what I want to say about that. You can absolutely have a vibrant, close walk with God and still be lonely. I want to validate that in you because that's the truth. Because you'll hear us say from the stage, hey, if you're single, you are not less than, your life is not diminished because Jesus fills those gaps. And 100% he does. But you can still have every gap filled and still be lonely. Adam walked with God every day. God would come to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and he and God would walk together and yet he was lonely. So don't ever let the enemy trick you into believing that because you have feelings of loneliness or seasons of loneliness that you're somehow less than as a Christian because that a thousand percent is not true. Loneliness is something that is attributed to our companionship together. So I want to recommend a book to you. It's on, it's on your paper there. It's called Singled Out in a Couple's World by Krista Smith. Now, I will say I did not read the book. However, I did watch a, an hour-long interview with this person, and her book is endorsed by several people that I highly respect. And what I love about her book is she's very brutally honest about her single journey because she was raised in an incredible family. Everybody loved the Lord. Her mom and dad had a phenomenal marriage relationship. So she was just like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow right in her footsteps. And then she goes through high school and still no significant might be the one. Then she goes all through college, still no significant might be the one. She ends up going into her 40s 
before she ever meets anybody. And so this book is just about her journey and singleness and how she walked that out. So I encourage you to get that if you're going through a season of singleness right now and just let that sort of give you some hope and encouragement. Okay, back to our blanks. Why do we have a marriage commitment? Number one, it was God's idea. Number two, it was God's design. Let me read these two verses for you out of Genesis chapter 1. By the way, here's the reason I'm reading everything out of Genesis. Our whole basis today of marriage is going to come out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Why? Because it's before the fall. We're going to be looking at the original marriage, the original intention that God had for it before the fall messed it up because God's desire is always to get us back to his original design. He didn't change his mind. He didn't create things to operate one way in Genesis and then the fall happened and he said, oh, well, i got to come up with plan B. No, plan, there is no plan B. Plan A is Christ came, died for you to forgive you of your sins, to give you the power and the authority to come into your heart, change your life, and begin to move you back towards plan A. And so we're going to look at marriage through the lens of God's original intent and how he designed it. So in Genesis chapter 1, Verses 27 to 28, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. So right there we see that the intention from the very beginning is that you would have a man and a woman who have a relationship with God who now take a position of rulership and authority over creation. Because when you read the story of creation, you get this sort of Wild West feel to it. Like, obviously, there was a, a sense of a little bit of chaos and everything. And what God intended was that now a man and woman in relationship with him would have the same kind of rulership and authority that he has. Because under that kind of rulership and authority, creation thrives. Everything underneath that kind of godly leadership thrives. So that was his original intention. So what does that mean that Adam and Eve were charged with filling and governing the earth? It means Adam and Eve were the original power couple. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Destiny. That's right. Uh-huh. They were the OGs, man. They're the original power couple. I looked up power couples, by the way. If you do that, if you Google power couples, they're almost all Hollywood people with a few politicians sprinkled in there. And the funny thing is, I'm like, what were they powerful at? Because their marriages all fell apart. I mean, you got Sonny and Cher, power couple, early on, right? Well, then she ditches Sonny. Now it's somebody else's Cher, power couple. You know, I'm like, man, if you're a power couple, if you got it going on, if you know how to do marriage and relationships, I'm like, that's what we've been looking at for all these years? Those are who we consider the power couples? But I know you guys, and what I knew when y'all heard that, y'all would be like, well, Eddie, I want to be a power couple. I want my marriage to be a power couple. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what we're going to look at is how to become a power couple. And the way we're going to begin that is by going back and looking at those two passages I just read to you. I just read them. I'll put them on the screen at the same time. Boom, there they are. I want you to take just a few seconds and look at them and tell me if you notice something that seems to be a contradiction. Take a moment, just look at them. Last time I checked, Genesis chapter 2 comes after Genesis chapter 1. And for some reason, God creates mankind in Genesis chapter 1, and then in Genesis chapter 2, he said it's not good for the man to be alone. How does that work? I'm glad you asked that too. Y'all are asking great questions this morning. <laughs> Here's how that works. What it is is Genesis chapter 1 gives us the broad outline of creation. Here's 
what God created and when he created it. Day one, day two, day three, all the way down through all of creation. Then in Genesis chapter 2, he gives us what every woman in this building longs for. The details. Because he didn't just create Adam and Eve at the same time. And he didn't create Adam and then look at him and say, oh man, that's not enough, and then create Eve. We need to understand why was there a gap there. And in order to understand that, we need to understand that when God was going through creation and he created Adam, Adam was fully in the image of God and Adam was fully mankind. Mankind in the image of God, all in Adam. So he's created Adam. He's created everything else, and then we read this in Genesis chapter 2 because now part of Adam's assignment is God is going to have Adam name all of the animal kingdom. So it says in Genesis chapter 2, he brought them to the man, all the animals, to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Okay. What's going on? Well, let me ask you this. Is what we just saw happen, is it the case that God created the animal kingdom and then created Adam, fully the image of God, fully mankind, and then God realized, oh, that's not working. I'm going to need to switch this up a little bit. I'm going to have to come up with something better. I don't know about you, but my God don't work like that. He knows everything in advance, right? What needed to happen was Adam needed to realize something. Adam needed to see, I'm not a part of this animal kingdom. I'm not an animal. Like, these are all wonderful, and, and, and the animals are coming before him, and he's seeing they're male and they're female, so several things are going on. One, what he's be beginning to realize is, I am not a part of the animal kingdom. Two, what he's realizing is, there's no companion for me. Like, all of these animals have a companion. There's this, there's this opposite to, to, to this one. Like, they're the same, but they're the opposite. And, and so through that, they're able to, like, procreate and do all these different things. But I, I, don't, I don't have that. And so now, with Adam having that awareness, Adam, you're different. They're not created in the image of God. You are. And you don't have a companion. But I needed you to see that so that I could do what I'm about to do next. Again, Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Stop, pause, take that off the screen. All right, I got to address the rib, okay? Here's why. Because rib is a very poor translation of the word that's actually used there. The word that's actually used there means from a side or from the side. And most people believe that it was not a physical, like God didn't put Adam to sleep and split him in half and then create a woman. What most scholars believe is, again, Adam was fully in the image of God, fully mankind, but yet he was alone. And God knows that's not good because God's never been alone. God has existed from the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now he puts Adam to sleep, and now he pulls a side of the image of God, and he pulls a side of mankind so that now they can be fully whole and one together and companionship. Now, if you understand that, it's going to really help you understand Adam's reaction to what God does. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man at last! 
the man exclaimed. See, this is why you need to know that stuff. Because if you don't, you're like, wow, man, he got excited. Well, yeah, he got excited. He's named the entire animal kingdom and there's nothing for him. There's no companion. And he says, at last, this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. And now we start getting a hint as to how to become a power couple and God's design for married. This explains what we just read. That they're separate, but they each represent the image of God. They each represent mankind, and they're called to be joined together. Why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the purpose of marriage, to have the full image of God, to have the full authority of mankind. So from that, we get the first two steps to becoming a power couple. Number one, get out your mama's house. You got to get out from underneath the parents. And, and, and I say that being funny, but, but it's, it's true, right? Like, like there is something scary about stepping out on your own. But it absolutely has to happen because as children we're brought up in the nurture, in the, in the provision and everything of our parents' home. And there comes a time when God says, look, that was their job. I gave them that assignment. But now I need you to step out and trust me. I need you now to trust that I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to provide for you. That is part of the deal. That's how God works and develops in us. And so step one is to get out of the house. Step two is get married. Get married. Now, I'm not saying that as you need to get out of the house and hurry up and find somebody. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when you do find that right person and you find yourself in this relationship and maybe this person is the one that you walk it out the right way and you don't have sex outside of marriage because nowhere in the Bible does God condone sex outside of marriage. Oh, no, Eddie, uh-uh, no, no, no. You can look at that Old Testament. Them guys, they had wives, they had multiple wives, they had concubines, all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, that was not God's design, 100%. His design from the beginning, from Genesis 1 and 2, has been one man, one woman. He didn't condone that stuff. Did that stuff happen? 100%. Name me one time when that happened where the results were good. They never were. Why? Because they were not a part of God's ultimate plan. But God does the same thing for us that we do for our kids. He's got grace and mercy that is endless and boundless. And when we step out of bounds and we do things the wrong way, he figures out a way to get in there and work us back around to where we need to be. But from the very beginning, God's design has been one man, one woman. All right, so you got the first two blanks there. Get out of the house, get married. All right, now the next two have to do with the relationship between the man and the woman. And this is, this is the part that's been twisted terribly. So I really feel like we need to dig even a little bit deeper so we make sure we understand that. So we're going to look at this relationship between the husband and wife. Again, Genesis chapter 2, verse I've already read. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, ladies, when you hear that, does that just, is there any part of that verse that just kind of makes you go, mm, mm, like, really? Like, that's, like that, that's what you came up with? That, that word? Anybody got a problem with helper? Yes. Well, you should have a problem with helper because helper is a terrible translation of what God said about women. When I hear helper, I think of hamburger helper. That's what I think of. 
I would, I, I mean, I don't blame, you know how many women, when you go to do a marriage ceremony, they say, don't put that submit thing in there. <laughs> it comes back to stuff like this, stuff we've been preaching out of the pulpit. Again, a terrible, terrible translation. So I want to look at that word helper because, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting so far ahead. I, I apologize. Stop. I've been freaking out back to run. I got too far ahead. I got to go back. You got to see this because this is, this is key. So everybody hang on to that. Helper. No, don't hang on to that. Let it go. Let it go. Ladies, ladies, let it go. Let it go. Get it out of your mind. Because I got a video y'all need to see. So this video, when the whole idea of getting out of the house and getting married, um, the point that I missed was a real good action step of what do you do when you have this cultural clash, right? What do you do if there's this biblical worldview that says this is how you do marriage, but then you don't know about that? Or maybe you're like my friend Evan who came to know about this after he became a Christian. The problem was the wheels were already in motion. He and his then fiance Hope, had already planned to move in together. And they were moving in together. And they find themselves at Cathedral, brand new Christians. They don't know anything about this kind of stuff. Never heard of this kind of stuff. And Evan had a roommate, Aaron, who was very key, a crucial part of him coming to know the Lord. And Aaron was also a very key and crucial point to saying to Evan, Evan, I know you guys are on track and you're moving in together, but biblically speaking, like, that's not exactly God's plan. So take a look at Evan's story and see how that worked out. I remember we came together and we, uh, we weren't living together yet, actually. We were in the process of moving in together when we both first started coming to church. And so we moved in not even knowing, not even knowing that there was anything wrong with that. And so, you know, we hadn't heard the biblical viewpoint on relationships and so, um, I remember that there was a, I remember that there was a time where uh, Aaron had sat down with me and he was like, brother, I, I love you. And I gotta be honest with you, you know, hope's moving in. Um, and I know that's something that you guys have planned out for a while because we've been planning it for six months at this point. Um, but he's like, it's not biblical. And I remember being so, so furious, so quick to just be mad, so quick to just like, you don't know what you're talking about. And you know, this is how everybody does it. And this is, this is the way that relationships happen because you're taught to live with someone before you actually marry them to make sure it's okay, to make sure you're comfortable living together. And so in my head, that's what we're doing. That conversation was incredibly, incredibly hard to have, uh, incredibly hard to listen to. And it took me a long time. There was, a, there was probably a period of like a year or two that I judged Aaron for even saying anything to me. Um, and I remember as me and Hope lived together longer and longer, as we had done life longer and longer together, as we had learned this biblical viewpoint on what a marriage and a relationship, a relationship outside of marriage is supposed to look like, but also a relationship inside of marriage, it was just, I was like, dang, I'm not living that life. It was so, I remember this like feeling of just like overwhelming, like, um, what do you call it? Like, it was like God was speaking to me and I was not listening. And I almost feel like it was kind of like a, a, Jonah and the, a Jonah and the whale situation. You know, I had waited so long to finally listen um, that it became incredibly difficult to do the right thing. I remember that there was a time where we're getting all hope stuff and we're moving around with Becky. And the next worry was like, I'm like, how am I going to pay bills without hope here to pay bills? Because the math did not work out. The man, like, I'm looking at how much I make in money and how much my bills are coming out to be. And it's, I'm like, there's definitely a negative there. There was something so awesome that happened because Hopin moved out and our relationship started shifting in this like 
awesome way. Like I was just like, in the first week, uh, like, Hope was just glowing. Like I would just look at Hope and I was just like, I know that she's uncomfortable. I know she's having a hard time being away right now and, and doing something different than what we're normal. What's normal, it's what we're used to. And so there's something that I just looked at her and I was just like, she is so much more beautiful now than she was a week ago. Her spirit is just like on, on fire. Like I'm just seeing this glow. We had gotten married. Uh, we had went to Denver for our honeymoon. It was incredible. And I remember us coming back and I was like, how different is it gonna be? And so there was something completely different about the atmosphere of our entire house. Um, when we came back together, it was, it was holy and it was beautiful and it was bright. And it was like, instead of this weird uncontentness, which I was scared to come back to, I was scared that that was gonna be what I come back to is that that feeling of like, this feels weird was gonna be there because that's what I had known for you know, two years. And I remember stepping into our house and I was just like, so at peace. And I was like, this is my wife. If someone was out there watching this right now, I'd, I'd wanna tell them just to, just to start. Find that sacrifice in you to one, say, I need a better relationship with God, but two, to say like, if this is truly the woman that I'm going to marry in you know a year, two years, five years, whatever it is, if this is truly the woman that I am going to marry, I wanna be the person that she wants me to be. You know, like my wife deserves a God-fearing man. My wife deserves somebody who's willing to say, to, to willing to lead, willing to say like, hey, let's put our trust in God. Let's trust him in this situation. My wife deserves somebody who's gonna take care of her in every way fashion and form, uh, you know, a guy who's gonna love her no matter what. So good, yeah, give him a hand. Wasn't that so good? Yes, oh. So before we move on from that, let me just say something real quick because you heard Evan say in there, man, when Aaron told him that, it did not go well. Like he even said, I got angry, I got mad. Like who are you to tell, like this is how everybody does it. So let me just say, if you're in here and you're in that situation, maybe you're in here and you are living together and you're not married, and now maybe you're beginning to see, God, I didn't realize that was not right. Don't feel like you got to rush out of here and get down to the justice of peace as quick as possible and get married. That's not how it worked. But do let me say to you, just like Evan said, just start. You know, one of the toughest things, but one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. In 1990, I just started coming to Cathedral. I'd only been here like two months. Nobody knew me. I was at a men's retreat, and God spoke to me as clear as day in that men's retreat. He said, I want you to sell everything, all your land out in the country, and move next to the church. And I'm going to tell you, man, when he told me that, that broke my heart. And I was a little bit angry about it. I was like, God, I just met you two months ago. Now you want me to get rid of everything? And it was, it was so hard. And, and I'll never forget, we were on a break and I was struggling. And Pastor Mike's dad, Mr. Willie, walked up to me and he goes, son, what, what's going on? So I told him exactly what was going on. He said, now, don't you rush home and stick that in the paper. He said, you just keep talking to God about it. He said, yes, God said that to you, but you keep talking to him and he's going to get you there. He'll get your heart ready. And he said, I promise you, there'll come a day that you'll wake up and you'll know now's the time to do it. And y'all, I tell you, it wasn't even a month later, I woke up and I was like, I can't sell this land fast enough. I need it gone. I need to get closer to that church. So if you're in here, just start. Start by having a conversation with each other and having a conversation with God and just start moving one foot in front of the other. All right, amen? Amen. Very good, very good. All right, now back to the hamburger, uh, not the hamburger helper, the helper. The helper, the ladies. 
Here's what I want to do. I want to break down that word. Because in the original text, that word that has been translated helper by our English language is two words. It is azer negdo. So I want to break down both of those words for you. The second one first, negdo. Because negdo means opposite, alongside, counterpart. In other words, the same but equal. Okay, so there, and you need to understand this. In Genesis 1 and 2, nowhere in there does God say, Adam, you're over Eve. That's how I, it is, it is not that way. It is you are made and constructed to be opposite and yet equal. So for that reason, on your piece of paper there, you need to put down that you recognize that you're different, but you're equal. That is key. We're going to talk about the other piece in just a minute because if anything has been abused in the church, it is this role of husbands and wives when it comes to authority and submission. So that's the first word, negdo. The second word, azer. Azer is used in the Bible 21 times in the Old Testament. The first two times it refers to women. The other 19 times it refers to God himself. God often said, I am Israel's Azair in time of conflict. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're in a conflict, if you're in a war, if you're in the heat of battle, if your life is being threatened, I don't want somebody to say, hey, I'm going to drop you off a helper. No, I don't need a helper. I need a warrior. I need somebody that can stand alongside of me and fight with me, somebody that's got the same kind of weapons that I have, and together we can fight and battle. And that is what that word means. That word azair means lifesaver, strong, rescuer. And you see it happen the moment Adam laid eyes on Eve. Because here he is, he's just gone through the entire animal kingdom and there is no companion for him. He is all by himself. And then God brings Eve. The daddy brings the daughter. And he says, at last, yes, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is my companion. You can immediately see the influx of life into Adam. Even in that moment, his life figuratively was saved because now he had a partner and a companion who could come alongside of him and work with him as an equal yet opposite person who didn't possess the same traits, but those traits were equal in the eyes of God. You and I, we, our value is not determined by our personality traits or gifts or anything like that. It's, it's, it's determined by the fact that we're made in the image of God. That's what it's determined by. So that last line there is celebrate, don't elevate your differences. Celebrate, don't elevate. There is nothing about a man that is higher than a woman. There's nothing about a woman that is higher than a man. And I'm going to address what everybody's thinking right now. I know there's some folks out there, Eddie in Ephesians 5, that we're going to talk about that. So hang on to your Ephesians 5 hat, okay? Because we're going to talk about that. You ain't going to like it, but we're going to talk about it. All right, so why do we have the marriage commitment? We have the marriage commitment because it was God's idea. We have it because it was God's design. And number three, we have it because it is still God's answer. It is still God's solution. That's why you see two people in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesians, Jesus as well, when there are questions about marriage, they refer it back to Genesis 2. They don't refer to marriage after the fall. 
They both refer back to for this reason. What reason? That a man and woman together represent the fullness of mankind. That a man and woman together represent the image of God. To now bring that biblical rule and authority so that everything below them can thrive. That was his design from the beginning. Was a man and, rule, man and woman in relationship with God ruling in that authority to bring order into chaos. And can I just say to you right now that now more than ever, we need men and women in a relationship with God, husband and wife, ruling in authority so that they can bring that peace and order into chaos. This is why the enemy has been after marriage from the beginning. Why? Because he knew you destroy God's authority structure and everything underneath crumbles. And are we not standing in a bunch of rubble right now? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. But I'm telling you, man, the good news, oh, the good news is Jesus. I'm going to tell you, that daggum, that message bumper with the cake and the cannonball, dude, that's me. That was my marriage. I was married in April. By November, the ball had dropped. I mean, our marriage was falling apart. And then I meet this guy. His name's Jesus. And he radically changes my life. And the cool thing is, he made a better cake than what we had to start off with. Because that's what he does. Because Jesus is in the business of redeeming and restoring. He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. He doesn't want you to hang in there where you are. He wants you to get better. He wants you to become everything that he has created you to be. All right, Eddie, that's a lot. You didn't drop the lot on me, but you forgot Ephesians 5. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Yes, it does. All right, Ephesians chapter 5 starts here. That whole wives, submit to your husband, that's like down here. If we go up to verse number 1, it says, submit to one another. Well, yeah, but he circled back around and he said, wives, submit to your husband. Well, let's talk about that because, yeah, he did. Let me tell you why he circled back around. Because when the fall happened, Adam and Eve were cursed with something they were going to have to deal with and all of mankind after them for the rest of their lives. He comes to Adam. He said, Adam, man, I hate this. I hate what happened because now because of what happened, this ground, this land, this earth is cursed because of you. And so now work is going to be hard. And you are going to have to work, and you are going to have to work hard. I mean, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to get in there and do everything you can just to scratch out a living. And what is every man's battle since then? Pouring themselves into work. Getting their identity from work. Letting work rise above the place in the home of husband and father. Sacrificing God's original intention of the two being one, falling prey to the curse of it's about the work. I've got to work and I've got to work hard. Yes, you do have to work, Adam, but you're going to have to fight this battle because you've got to work that balance out. You can't allow your family to fall to pieces because you're over here working and think that you're doing a great job by providing. And then on Eve's side, he comes to Eve. He says, Eve, I hate this. Like, this breaks my heart because now, because of what happened, every woman born after you and you are now going to struggle. There is going to be a desire in you to rule over your husband. It's just going to be in your nature. You're going to want to be in control. You are, you are not going to want to have to trust somebody else. That they're gonna, there's going to be something in you that you're going to want to control and manipulate and figure out a way to, to stay in control of things because you're not going to want to feel like anything's getting out of control. And so that's why in Ephesians it circles back around. 
But it is not a thing of a husband ruling over a wife. That's not what it is. I kind of like to look at it as the story of Joseph and Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, Joseph who finally came up through the ranks in, in Egypt after being wrongly accused and all this terrible stuff happened in his life. Finally, Pharaoh discovers him and Pharaoh says, Joseph, I'm head over you by position only. You go out there and you do everything your God is telling you to do and you thrive. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Was Pharaoh over him? A hundred percent. But what Pharaoh did was he recognized the gifts and callings on Joseph and he gave Joseph everything he needed for those gifts and those callings to become a reality. And because he did that, everybody underneath them was blessed and prospered. It's the same thing. Husbands, don't ever tell your wives, you need to learn to submit. Oh, mercy, don't ever say that. Gosh, don't ever say that. The worst thing you can say. It is because nothing in God's kingdom operates out of dominance. Parents do not dominate their children and spouses do not dominate one another. That is completely contrary to how God works. Again, husband, wife, man, woman, joined together. Risky? Oh yeah, man, it's risky. Hard? Woo, Bubba. Yeah, it's hard. But in that battling and in that struggling and, and in those years where you're having to, to kick and scratch to keep the marriage together and to keep moving forward, God is doing something in you. But you have to stay true to him and you have to stay true to his word. So then what do we do? What's, what's the next step? Well, I want you to watch one more video before I give you that next step. Um, because this video, I think, gives a great example of what to do in the meantime. Maybe you're in here and you're very much aware that your marriage could be a lot better than it is, but you don't know what to do. Maybe you're in here and you're in that single season of your life and it's just you're sort of you're knee deep in everything and you don't know what to do. Wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you do tomorrow. And this is the story of Connie. And Connie found herself, she came here, she was married when she came to Cathedral, um, but not long after that she just faced several devastating things in her life. So I want you to watch how she chose to walk that out. Take a look. My name is Connie Kayla, and I have been coming to Cathedral since December of 2021. So my daughter Mackenzie goes to Cathedral Academy. She is in the first grade and she's actually been coming here in the preschool since she was two. So um, I guess my journey actually really started with her and she knew that the Christmas program was going on and she wanted to go. So I told her of course that I would go with her and something just told me to keep coming. Not long after that, um, I went through a very difficult breakup and it was a long, important relationship to me. I was truly in love with this, this man and um, it just broke my heart. It was very difficult for me. I went through a really rough time, but again, being here and coming every Sunday is something that really helped me get through it. Um, I would come every Sunday and cry <laughs> just at the songs and the message. I really felt like every single message was for me, like they were talking directly to me. So I kept coming every Sunday, crying every Sunday, and but it made me feel better. I knew that God was there for me and I knew that 
God was doing something important for me. Coming into the spring, I really wanted to do growth track. Um, I had heard about it a lot and I am type A, <laughs> so I needed to go one, two, three, four. I could not start in the middle. <laughs> I decided that September was going to be the day that I, or the month that I was gonna do growth track, one, two, three, four. And I got to the first Sunday and I was ready to go and I got in there and I don't know why, but my anxiety just overtook me. I was scared for some reason and I don't even know what I was scared of. Um, I was still very, very sad and depressed and um, I don't even know, but I was just very, very terrified of it for some reason. And I just remember after the nine o'clock service, I was just frozen in my seat and everybody was walking out and I was just there again, hand, head in my hands and I was just crying. And Holly actually came up to me and she sat down next to me and she just, she prayed with me. And, you know, she tried to kind of talk to me like, you know, didn't want to dig too deep, but, you know, said, you know, is there anything that I can do? You know, are you okay? And, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, and she even mentioned growth track and she's like, Hey, you know, this is something that you can do. And I said, it's actually something that I really want to do. And that's what I was planning to do. I just, for some reason, I can't go back there. And Holly was like, do you want me to hold your hand? <laughs> and she literally held my hand and walked me back there, introduced me because I didn't register for it or anything and just um, went right back there and they were so welcoming. So I went through all four weeks straight through and um, again, more crying <laughs> at the tables and just telling them my story and it felt so good to tell them my story and they were so supportive and just, you know, knew that God was working with me. Um, and it just felt so good to be back there. I feel so comfortable here and getting involved with the cafe. I meeting new people all the time and our group back there is amazing. And I absolutely love working with them, being able to grow my personal relationship with God and then just myself in general. I have overcome so much over the past year and it has, being here at Cathedral has really helped that. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for coming here. So good, so good. So we have the marriage commitment because it was God's idea. We have it because it was his design. We have it because it's still his answer. And for everyone who thought I forgot that last one, we have it because authority restores order. And that's important. Biblical authority in the home Mom and dad. You know, in Ephesians 5, when Paul refers back to Genesis and he says, For this reason, a man, and woman, a man will leave his mother and his father and cling to his wife, and the two will become one. And then he says, This is a great mystery. 
don't understand it, but somehow God, in the same way that he unites us and Christ as one, when we put our faith in Christ, he unites a husband and a wife together. And I, and I want to say this absolutely in love. I want to kind of address it the way Pastor Megan addressed divorce in week one. You know, she said it is true. The Bible does say that God hates divorce, and he does. But he doesn't hate you because you got a divorce. He hates what divorce does, the devastation that it causes. He hates that, and he doesn't want that for anybody. And when it comes to this biblical authority, you can live together all you want, but I'm telling you there's an authority that you don't have. It's a biblical authority. It's something supernatural, and, and God can only bless you with that when you're underneath that covering of, of walking your life out according to his word. And so without that marriage commitment without that legal marriage commitment that God himself set up. You can have authority. You can power up as the husband or as the wife. You can, you, can, you can do things under your own authority, but there is a level of supernatural authority that you don't have, and because you don't have it, there's always going to be a level of chaos that you can't control. And so I just want to challenge all of us this morning just to see how we can continue moving back towards God's original design. And part of the way I want to do that is I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want us to use our imaginations for a moment. So, you know, sometimes if you're in a marriage and the marriage is falling apart or when you've had uh, a loss of a loved one or you've just been single for a long time and, and you're having trouble finding that special someone, it becomes so hard sometimes to see anywhere down the road. It's like you just get stuck right where you're at. And when you look around, all you can see is where you're at. But I'm a firm believer that when the Bible talks about trusting in God and trusting in the promises of God, and when God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope, that sometimes what we need to do is we need to activate our imagination and we need to ask God to help us. God, what does that look like? And he absolutely will. I believe the Holy Spirit will absolutely come and plant images into your imagination. And we're just going to ask him to do that right now. Holy Spirit, would you just come? And would you help every person right now? I want you to just run the clock ahead five or ten years. No matter what your life is like right now, in your mind's eye, run the clock ahead five or ten years. And this is what I want you to imagine. I want you to see yourself more full of life than you have ever been. If you're with your spouse, I want you to see you and your spouse, regardless of where you are now, full of love and laughter and joy and happiness, just huge smiles on your faces. I want you to see your home thriving with life on the inside. If you're single, I want you to just imagine five, ten years down the road that your life is so good you can't imagine it getting any better because that's what God wants you to imagine. He doesn't want you to imagine what you can do. He wants you to imagine what He's going to do. And just trust the Holy Spirit to put that in you. And not only do I want you to see it, I want you to feel it. I want you to feel that contentment of being whole, of being full, of being in companionship with somebody who loves you, who is the equal yet opposite, that fights alongside of you, that gets you, that understands you. Feel that contentment of that satisfied life. See it in your mind's eye, the ear-to-ear -ear smile, the weight being lifted. No more heaviness, no more darkness. It is life and it is light. See it. Imagine it. And now we're just going to use it. 
So now with that image in your mind, just go ahead and open your eyes. Keep that image in your mind. Stand with me if you would. And we're going to worship through this psalm. But we're going to do what I like to call a little bit of prophetic worshiping. What does that mean? It just means you're worshiping around a glorious future that God has for you. So you've got that image in your mind now. You've seen it. You've felt it. So sing the words of this song, yes, but keep that imagination in your mind and let God cause it to grow and form in you as you sing and worship through this song. Yes, yeah. How many of you know that's true? See the goodness of the Lord, right? Can he do it? Yes. Yeah, can you do it with him? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, can he make you a little less critical? Yeah, yeah. Can he make you a, a little less defensive? M maybe make you a little less disrespectful? Maybe help you not to stonewall quite so much? Y'all are smiling. Y'all see exactly what I'm doing. I'm telling you, go back and watch last week's message and take those things and then take this image that you have that, that God has placed in your mind. It's the road map. It's, it's what's going to keep you on the road. You don't know how God's going to get you there, but I promise you, you take the practical. You take those steps that they gave last week. This is what will break it. This is what will make it. Get better at the getting rid of the breakers. Improve those makers. That will keep you on the highway, and God will drive. You let God do the driving. You just stay in the car and on the highway. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.